0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. Today's podcast is a little bit different than usual, in part because we have no video, we have just audio today, and the reason for that is the other thing that's unusual about today. We're bringing you a recording of a short talk and then an extended Q&A session that took place at today's Men's Discipleship Breakfast here at All Saints. Today is Saturday 9th of July, and... We were talking about being a Christian in the workplace. So what we had was a a superb and helpful overview and orientation from Pastor Neil, just for 10 minutes talking about the how and why of working as Christians. And then I uh, asked a number of questions to two of the men in our church, one of our elders, uh, Tony Douglas, and another of the men here at All Saints, Justin Durst, both of whom uh, are... Uh, senior managers or in Tony's case is a CEO of a company and therefore have responsibility not just for their own work but for the work of other people and they had some profoundly helpful and insightful things to say about uh, being a Christian in the workplace dealing with difficult employees what our objectives should be what our expectations should be how to go about being the best possible Christian employee we can uh, possibly be I'm confident you'll find this extremely illuminating and helpful. The guys here at the Men's Discipleship Breakfast certainly did. We had some fantastic questions then from them at the end. So um, listen all the way through to the end of the podcast and you'll hear uh, uh, Justin and Tony's responses to some uh, questions from guys here at All Saints. I hope you find this helpful. From the rousing round of applause at the end, it certainly seems that the men here did. And um, I hope uh, you enjoy it too. Uh, With that, that's enough from me. Uh, we'll go straight now to Pastor Neil uh, introducing this theme with a short talk on the how and the why of work. Good
1: morning. good morning. All right. Please join me in prayer. It's good to see you. Thank you for the labors that have already been performed this day and setting this up. We've been able to benefit from the uh, fruit of these labors. But let's give thanks to the Lord who is worthy of all thanks. Father in heaven, we come to you through Jesus Christ who has shown us you and your ways. Now grow us in gratitude for we have received your good gifts of food and drink and fellowship all because of the informed and ever presence of you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Shape us more and more to the image of Jesus Christ for we bear your name and we long to do so honorably. Through Jesus we pray, amen. amen. All right, it's my privilege to kick off This morning, and I'm going to do so with two questions. Two questions, and that is uh, why do you work and how do you work? Why work and how work? And I think the answer to both is the same. Why do you work? And then how do you work? Why in the world is this so very important? Uh, Tragically, Christians have a horrible reputation or testimony when it comes to our endeavors, our labors in the world of God's glory. This is the Lord's world, and it's a tragedy when we don't want to hire someone who has a Christian fish on their work truck. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy when you do hire someone who is a Christian and then you expect to be able to get it for free. You expect them to donate their time for their skill. And this could be professional, aesthetic, or trades skills. We have been restroom... Bathroom compromised in our home lately, and the worker who is taking care of things does not profess faith in Jesus Christ, but he smells more Christian than some Christians I've encountered in the workplace. Is it possible that someone's uncircumcision could actually look like circumcision? Why do you work? And then how do you work? Why should Christians have to enter into business with one another with the right hand of fellowship and the left hand on their wallet? So why do you work? Not for a paycheck. It's not so that you can keep up with the Joneses. It's not even primarily so that you can provide for your wife and family. Why do you work? Biblically, right out of the chute, you work because you are made in the image of God. Now, you can go all theologizing on that. I thought that had to do with desires and thinking and all of this other stuff, Um, The Lord God shows Himself as a worker right out of the beginning in the Bible. Genesis 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. The crown and the pinnacle of his creative work was his image bearers, male and female, even planted them in a garden and said, beautify and adorn it. Why do you work? I'm made in the image of God. What if I push a broom? You push a broom because you're made in the image of God. What if I run a company? You run a company because you're made in the image of God. Now, how do you do this? You do this with industry so that your work looks forward to rest and your rest fuels you for work. The woman of excellence in Proverbs 31 does not eat the bread of idleness. The lazy woman in the book of Proverbs eats, wipes her mouth, and says, I've done no wrong. The 70th psalm ends with a benediction. Confirm the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. A psalm that speaks of what if we lived to 70 years, maybe 80 if due to strength. So why do you work? Because you're made in the image of God. And work was established before the fall. So be careful of concluding that work is a curse. Or work is part of the curse. Work was affected by the curse just like your marital relationship was affected by the curse. Does that mean we, oh, marriage is of the curse? No. Why work? Because you're made in the image of God. So how do you work? You work as those who bear forth the image of God. Of course, all of this is made beautifully sensible When the Apostle Paul reflects upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, bless you. He says, because of the risen Lord who is the first fruits of our resurrection. um, Know this, beloved brethren, that your work and your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So young men, be trained as to be workers and stop despising the tasks that are given you because you are being trained for what's to come. And if you think work is going to diminish the older you get, I have news for you. Has the image of God departed from you? Or perhaps you have besmirched it, buried it, clamored for recognition, prestige, and the paycheck rather than bearing forth your first testimony. Whether or not you're a child of God, you bear the image of God. So yes, push a broom to the glory of God and do so as image bearers. Make breakfast and take out the trash. Do your pre-calc to the glory of God because you bear the image of God. It's been my privilege to kick this Saturday men's discipleship off. And that's it. Pastor Jeffrey?
0: Thank you very much. Indeed. Uh, I'd like to take us on to the next stage of this morning's proceedings by inviting uh, Tony Douglas and Justin Durst to join me up here. Tony and Justin, if you want to sit on those two chairs on the middle and on my left, and while you're doing that, I'm just going to give you a brief intro to... Actually, I'll grab this off here. Can I ask um, Boaz, would you mind just moving this and this and that chair out of the way for me? Could you do that? Thank you very much. You can grab one of your friends there to help you. Just these three things, if you could move them out of the way, thanks. Just, just take them right there. Wonderful. Thanks, Abe. And thanks, Boaz. Oh, wonderful. That should be on. Do you want to just test it? Yeah, that's good. And uh, there is a radio mic somewhere, which if you just unmute that, Tony, you'll be able to talk. So um, about, what was it two or three months ago, I met with, um, I think I had a chance conversation with uh, Justin. Uh, about his work and about some of the things that he's uh, enjoyed about it and some of the reflections he has about it. Um, And it just occurred to me that uh, in my own teaching and encouragement of you guys, my own lack of experience in the workplace uh, was in danger of showing through. And I needed to get some more help in understanding more than just the broad picture, but some of the real nitty-gritty details of the kinds of uh, challenges and opportunities that are set before you. I didn't want to become just general and vague the whole time in talking about something which is so central and significant to your lives as men, young men and married men and fathers and husbands. I wanted to try and get more specific. So I thought, I need to go back to school and listen to a couple of guys who not only have been working for a fair amount of time but have responsibilities of various kinds for other men, including Christian men, but also non-Christian guys in the workplace. And so we sat down, and I just basically sat there, bought two cups of coffee, and had my pen and notepad. And I think I wrote kind of 10 or 12 pages of notes on things that these guys said. And I thought, at that point, I thought, we've got to get these men in front of the congregation so that I can ask them some of the same questions again. And then that if we have time, hopefully, Lord willing, you'll be able to come back with some questions. I found it profoundly helpful, and I hope you will too. And I wonder if we can just kick off. Just take a minute, if you would, each of you. We'll begin with you, Tony. Just to describe um, yeah, the work you do now, uh, the responsibilities you have, and in particular, um, your role in relation to other workers, your employees and, and staff.
2: Yeah, I'd be glad to, Steve. Thank you. So I've been... CEO of a company called Smith System. I'm in my 20th year now. Started my 20th year about three months ago. We've got about uh, just under 300 employees and we do work around the world with Fortune 500 companies that operate vehicles. So companies like Amazon and FedEx and and, um, they're two of our bigger ones. Lots of utility companies, companies in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, typically, we train salespeople that drive for pharmaceuticals and truck drivers that drive for companies like JB Hunt. So we have salespeople um, that that uh, go and prospect and maintain and take care of our customers. Salespeople like Nate Hansen and my son Nate and uh, Luis Aguilar. So some guys that that, that uh, many of you know. We have a scheduling function that that schedules about 150 instructor consultants that we have that go out and do the in-person work that we do. And then we have some technology-enabled products, uh, a big e-learning library. We're in telematics and that sort of thing.
0: So uh, anything else? All right. No, that's great. Uh, right. Justin, tell us what you do.
3: Uh, I'm the local branch manager for Benzel Steel Distributors, which is a, a, a basically a... a when I say a wholesale steel distributor, I mean, we deal with a steel on a level of a commodity. We do business by the truckload and the ton. And when I say truckload and the ton, a truckload's 45,000 pounds, a ton is 2,000 pounds. And we look at the end of a month to push this past month, we shipped about 5,000 tons and we've got about 11,000 tons locally. My company as a whole spans now the entire US, Colombia, and South America, um, crossing over the sea to the UAE, Canada, and they just keep growing. So what I do now is I'm responsible for the local branch, which means all parts of it. Uh, The sales group, the administrative group, the operations group. We run 24 hours a day, uh, five days a week, and then part days on Saturdays for the operations group. We have uh, machines in there that are very expensive. Um, We've got cranes that are running overhead. So a big part of what I do is, again, um, uh, the safety of all people, but also the, the productivity of all people and then interacting with, with, of course, the company and everybody else who's a, who uh, is interconnected through the larger company that relates to our branch on a local level.
0: All right, great. Now, uh, i got to say, one of the things that shocked me um, when we talked was the mixture of experiences that you'd had, um, particularly employing Christians. And um, we, we're going to get to some stuff in, in the next few minutes, Lord willing, uh, about... Um, just some general advice, really, about how to apply biblical principles in the workplace, how to work well, how to deal with the kinds of problems that you may run into, the challenges, perhaps distinctive challenges, because you're a Christian in the workplace. But, you know, uh, we we don't want to heal the wound lightly. And this isn't supposed to be a kind of Um, beat-up. These guys are not venting, and they weren't to me. But you did have some things to say, When I just asked you for your experience of working with Christians uh, in your own workplaces, Tony, do you want to just kick us off and give us some of your... What have you experienced in that connection?
2: Yeah, so the great news is my experiences with the men in this congregation have been outstanding. Um, Our newest uh, employee that is a Christian uh, is Nate, and I'm going to put you on the spot. I apologize for that in advance. But there was just a kind of groundswell through all departments in the company after everybody got to know Nate of, you got to go find more guys like that. And so on the positive side, that's what we want to see. You know, going back, um, you know, even prior to this church starting, you know, it was, um, you know, a hard decision to take to bring on a professing Christian because you didn't know which variety of professing Christian you were going to get. Are you going to get the Nate Hansen, which you want all day? Were you going to get the, my mission in life is to come evangelize to everybody in your workplace, which is not what you want? And then, you know, I would say that third choice is something along the lines of kind of the entitlement mentality, where uh, perhaps... These individuals just might think they're beyond sweeping the floor if that's what needs to be done. And so, you know, in application and, and um, kind of tying into Pastor Neal's outstanding opening comments, you know, the three things that stand out to me for Christians from Scripture are, number one, what kind of work did God do? What did he call it? One word. Thank you, Gino. He did good work. So that's the first thing. You want to make sure as a Christian in the workplace that your work is good. The second thing you've got to understand going into it is it's supposed to be hard. What are some of the words that were used in Genesis 3 to describe after the fall what your work is going to be like as a man? Toil. toil, Sweaty. Sweaty. Anybody remember thorns and thistles? Okay. Uh, the next time you're sitting in traffic on I-30 for an hour, uh, going to or from work, those are your thorns and thistles. You're still supposed to be at work on time, right? It's not supposed to be easy. And then I think the last thing that I would say that that Christians coming into the workplace often lose focus of is, again, in Genesis three. What did God say about when? your hard work is going to end. Hmm. I believe the words are when you return to the ground. So it doesn't contemplate Winnebago's pulling motorcycles. Um, It's supposed to be a lifetime deal. And Christians that I find, particularly as they get older in my workplace in years past, lose sight of that.
0: So... Um, We're going to come back to some of those details, I think, in the next few minutes. Justin, do you want to throw anything in here? Your experience of, you've got some of these guys in the congregation here, work for you. Um, Talk to us about your experience of employing Christians.
3: Um, In in some ways, it's like employing anyone else. When you get somebody in, and I I don't want to jump ahead to some of the stuff I know we're going to get to, but nobody comes into a new job knowing exactly how everything is done or everybody at the place. And so, like, the Christian comes in sometimes and, uh, kind of like Elder Douglas, you know, alluded to, there's, there's, there's several different areas I think our are, are, are understanding of work can take us out of. Like, for example, sometimes I don't think a Christian really understands, in my experience the just what economics is and how labor relates to economics um it's just like it becomes this super spiritual thing that we're doing all the time and then it has no practical value in a way and so you're you have that issue is where somebody else's issue is they just don't get along with people or somebody else's issue is they're late somebody else's issue is well they're on time but they're not really focused on what they're doing um it, and that's not to say it's all bad. I don't take it that way. There's, um, there's also great fruit of seeing Christians in the workplace. They bring a light um, in certain conversations at certain times that nobody else does, and it becomes very obvious in those instances. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there's... As the fall has touched us all, we're all
0: in need of growth and sanctification in all areas of our lives. Right. Let me stay with you, Justin, because I want to pick up something that, Tony, you mentioned, where you said... Um, you spoke of an entitlement mentality, and Justin, I wrote down one of the quotes, many quotes I wrote down in our conversation a few months ago. Um, you you um, alluded to one of your employees who, at one point, had said, "And I quote: I don't feel appreciated here." And and you reacted. <laughs> and you're reacting the same way now. To, to, what's going on there? And what's what's happened in that in that man's mind? What, what's wrong with that mentality? Do you think? Justin stay with you and then Tony come to you as well
3: um well for instance I hear I've heard this and I just had this conversation with somebody this past week like you know when you go into a business place I know we're all just numbers well I don't know how to tell you this but yeah if you're asking for the direct deposit to go to your bank account your bank account has a number okay yes your people here too but the goal when you signed on to come here, the, the, it, we're talking about an economic transaction. It is your labor for pay, and that labor is supposed to produce, and that's why we're paying you. There's nowhere <laughs> in there that it talks about you feeling good, feeling happy, feeling affirmed, You're, per, you know, all that kind of stuff that's not in the contract anywhere. So when somebody comes up with that, too, it's a red flag because it's something you, you realize real quick you have a job. You have the opportunity to succeed. We pay on time every single week. I can't help you if you don't. If that doesn't satisfy, <laughs> Tony.
2: Yeah. So I I think you see it um, in the media now. You you see it in um, you know up. There, there's a difference. There was a difference before COVID, but post COVID. Um, it's become very, very difficult for us to find good people. And the first question that we often get uh, is, so, uh, is this a work-from-home job? And then once you tell them it's not a work-from-home job, you know, you, in most cases, lose them. And so it's, there's been a societal shift that's reinforcing what Justin's talking about. So there's a good side to that, and there's a bad side. The good side's for all of you, because it's my belief, and I've been working part-time since 1975, full-time since 1980, um, and there's never been a better time than today for a Christian man with the right outlook on work and employment to advance and have a great career because, and that's whether you're in the trades or that's whether you're working for a corporation Uh, because you will stand head and shoulders and whatever else uh, you can reference above everybody else in this day and time. So my job is to get the biggest return possible for our shareholders. That's my job. If you say, Tony, what's your mission? That's it. It's not make employees happy. It's not take care of employees. It's not uh, have a, I mean, it is, you know, for example, have a harassment-free workplace. Well, there's no question. You have to do things legally, and you have to do things fairly and rightly. Now, it just so happens that the best way for me to achieve that goal for our shareholders is, is to use the golden rule with my employees, bar none. So what I'm not saying is employers shouldn't care, um, it's all about money and and all of that, but my job, I'll, I'll lose my job if I don't achieve the highest possible return for our shareholders. But you can do that, when you're in management roles in, in the future, you can do that and do it fairly and do it in conjunction with Scripture. But going back, really back on point to the question, um, a great, great time uh, for, for those of you to, that are in the workplace or going to be in the workplace, uh, you can absolutely blow away
0: everybody that's your peer based on what I'm seeing in the workplace. I wanted to make a brief comment about this, because it resonates with something that Pastor Neil said. I wonder how many of you were somewhat surprised when Pastor Neil said that we don't work primarily for a paycheck. We don't work primarily in order to uh, provide for our families. And it seems to me, if I'm not wrong, Pastor Neil, you chose your words very carefully there. We work primarily, quote, because we're made in the image of God. What does God do in his work? Well, he provides for his creation. And so what we have is a hierarchy of objectives. We work because we're made in the image of God, and therefore we provide for our families and those who are dependent upon us. We work hard because we're made in the image of God, and if you work hard, it turns out that you kind of get... Job satisfaction thrown in. But if what you go for is job satisfaction, you've inverted the hierarchy of priorities, which and inverting hierarchies of priorities is what the devil does in Genesis 3. Uh, so the the striking thing to me, it, it looks like maybe what's happened is that previous generations worked hard and experienced a sense of satisfaction and being able to provide for their families. And what we're in danger of doing and perhaps some of you guys in danger of doing is seeing that satisfaction or especially the younger generation being taught that this is your right and saying well this is what I want, I want to be self actualised I want a a job that will make me feel good about myself and it's like well there's no job with that in the description but you you get it thrown in maybe ten years down the line uh, if you're approaching the task in the right way Um, let me just suggest we push to another topic you mentioned Tony and again this may be a surprise and certainly it would be a surprise to some of the people in some evangelical churches I've been in the past you're you're not being hired to be the company evangelist well there's a surprise I remember when I was at college people saying yeah I want to go and be a school teacher because then I'll be able to evangelize the students and it's like that, that seemed kind of holy and pious, and then you sort of think, hold on a second, I, I think you're being hard to teach physics, you know? So, Tony, do you want to talk about how those, how your Christian witness generally, with evangelism as a part of that, and how your work ethic, how those things should relate, and how, well, some, some pitfalls there? Yeah,
2: certainly, so it's not going to surprise any of you guys that actions speak louder than words. And I'll use Chick-fil-A as an example. How many of you guys work for Chick-fil-A? I don't see Nathan Brandt here. Does anybody work for Chick-fil-A here? Okay. So what are they going to say to you every time you have a transaction with them? My pleasure. Not, do you know Jesus? (laughs) Right? Right? Are you saved? Okay. Um, And they, I believe, this past week were named the number one restaurant chain in the United States. And they're not open on Sundays. Okay? So what you have there is a great picture of what Christianity played out in the workplace should look like. Now if you own the workplace, you can do whatever you want to do. But if another individual or a corporation has hired you, it's your job to do a good job at what they tell you to do. And and so I, I love Chick-fil-A's example because it speaks louder than words. Hmm. It, it is just,
0: it's a remarkable story Justin, of evangelism. Talk to us about this issue of um, Christian witness in the workplace and the kind of overzealous Christian syndrome. I want to come in and make an impact. I've been praying for my colleagues. You know, yeah. Talk to me about yeah. this. Uh,
3: it's so counterintuitive, I guess. When you, it, depending on what background you come from, I know one of the first things that Pastor Jeffrey said, that I heard him teach on a little bit when he was here, was he wants everybody to learn to chill out, <laughs> and, and I and I think that's great. What he means by that is not work, and I know that, but what I'm saying is in our workplace, um, we're talking about having a testimony. Just like um, what Pastor, I mean, what Elder Douglas just said about a, a Christian coming into the workplace and having an opportunity to do good. And all you have to do is good, solid, consistent work. If you do that, you separate yourself from so many people. And even if everybody else in the group is just like you, then that is the best workplace you could possibly have, right? You're still showing your faithfulness through that. And then what happens is, and I'll, I'll uh, if you're new, And you immediately start talking about Jesus. The question, the way people see it is, you don't even understand the job you're doing. Why are we talking about something else? We need to stay focused on what the job is to get it done. Mm -hmm. Now, over time, what will happen if you're at a place, and I mean, I've had this opportunity more than once with the CEO, with our HR department, with different people. They qu- conversations come up, questions come up. Why is it this way? Why is it that way? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And you get to answer with not, well, let me share the gospel with you, but giving them little parts of your reasoning, your understanding of the world, why you do things the way you do. And over time, that, uh, that becomes uh, an avenue for conversation, but we're talking about years, and it's not the primary focus. The primary focus is getting the job done when those kind of thing, when those kind of questions or whatever comes up, it's not okay. Here's my chance to vomit the gospel all over somebody. It's 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 Thanks really just energy. it's it's a it's just a chance to just keep going at what you're doing. And what you'll find over
0: time is that um, I, I, I probably said enough in that regard. Yeah, um, I, I want to pick up one sort of subpoint of what you said: the long time thing and the and the expectation of um, learning to do your job. I remember one of the things that you pointed out, Justin is the workplace is actually really complex, and when you come in to a new job, you you don't see the complexity, and you might have 50 ideas in the first week about how we should change things. Um, This is a problem, is it? Do you want to talk to us about that? Yeah, I I remember um,
3: specifically telling um, one person that um, when you come into a new place, you don't even know what you don't know you're you're not ready to get involved in conversations you're not ready to talk you're ready to just sit there and learn and just do what you're told and just keep moving on and i think that elder douglas made a comment about this that it's a syndrome that we do see at different times with different people like lots of ideas and you hear that ideas are good well ideas are good when you know what you're talking about like I, you know like what what i'm saying is it's like it, the only the analogy i could come up with this is like um Sometimes little kids come up, if any of you have kids or been around them, they have the craziest ideas about what would be fun. Let's put a rocket on the roof and let's like, just ride a rocket to church. You're like, technically, physics, that could work, but that's not <laughs> the best way to do it. <laughs> okay, like, So the thing is, but when your kids grow up, they do come up with suggestions that are like, hey, I saw this is happening at the house. Could I do, what if we did this? And you're like, yeah, it's a good idea. Do that. Go yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it's like that
0: but it's years right it's not like, oh it's years yeah like <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. Okay. absolutely
0: um it's interesting that that keys into some of the stuff that i 've been uh, reflecting on and once or twice been preaching on recently about the the long term character of christian eschatology that so Jesus has an extremely long term plan for the world multi generation thousands of generations, and sometimes we get frustrated if we don 't see results in our lifetime well you kind of get used to it and mm-hmm. And similarly, and maybe this is particularly relevant for you younger guys who are contemplating moving into your first job, um, and you'll be full of energy and zeal and all the joys of spring. And so do four or five years and and get good. On which note, um, let's talk about the actual mechanics of getting good at your job. Well, what does it take to become uh, excellent at your job? Tony, do you want to speak to us about that?
2: Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, a great, um, uh, call it attitude, maybe principle, maybe principle is a better word to use. A great principle to have as you approach your work is to set the goal to be the very last person in the organization that they let go when things get tough economically. So what does that mean? You know, that means you're the player on the bench. They can play the outfield, you can play the infield, you can catch, you can pitch, you can you can clean the dugout, you can clean the locker room, and you demonstrate that you're willing to do all of those things. So um, learn, the, learn the business where you are. Take the time to understand everybody's role and um, always be asking how you can help how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? But, and that can in itself turn into a really annoying grind to receive that if, you, if you, know, you know that it's not genuine, that the individual hasn't taken the time to invest themselves to the point that they can be helpful. So don't, don't leave here thinking I'm saying, oh, just go to work tomorrow and ask how I can help. First of all, take the time to understand how you can apply yourself, and you can suggest ways you can help. That's not so much the rocket on the roof idea there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but but to me, you know what, what I'm what I've tried to do in my career, and what I'm looking for is individuals who, uh, if I've got ten people and I've got to let five of them go, or I've got to let seven of them go, or I've got to let nine of them go, they're all working like they want to
0: be the one that I just can't run the business without. Right. And a lot of that stuff, I mean, before asking somebody else, let's check whether our company policy documents or our job description or just the stuff we're seeing around us contains the answer. You know what I mean? This, this is after you've done good right.
2: work at what you've been assigned right.
0: to do. Just yes, as always.
3: This is something that um, Elder Douglas said in our um, initial conversation months ago, but he said there's too much time watching Shark Tank. And <laughs> no, it's, it, I understand it. If you, look, if, you, if you will go into history and look at where the, the things that you are using, the things that you enjoy, the great inventions in the world, the great improvements in the world, they are not from people who didn't know what, what they were doing and came up with a lightning quick idea. They were by people who gr- were grinding away and mastered areas of study, areas of work, and knew how to make the subtle changes that improved things vastly. Mm. And that's that's what I, in my current workplace, that's one of the con- conversations I'm having constantly with certain people, As I see one of the biggest um, hindrances to productivity that we have is people being so concerned with doing everybody else's everybody else's job or doing something else or doing this or getting to the next level when we haven't even mastered Mm. level one, level two, level three. Now I totally, again, not to confuse anything, I totally agree with what Elder Douglas said about asking for help, getting stuff done. But when I hear that, I I always hear that the person who's getting their stuff done, when they're getting it done, it's clean, it's airtight, it's professional, it's complete. Then you can look for more to do. But ma- Amen. Yeah, th- this is, the mastery part of it is, if you, in talking about being the last one to let go, the easiest way for you to have job security is to do things so well that nobody does it better than you, or you're at least on par with the best. And then you start, and you from day one, you can't master all the things that are necessary in a workplace in a week, in a month, in a year, but if you're mastering them one by one and getting done everything else you need to do and getting better as you go you're going to make yourself so rock, t- rock hard, stable, dependable, that it is going to be very difficult for anybody to think about letting you go.
0: Mm. I'm really intrigued by your reading of history, Justin, because it strikes me that it's, it's so perceptive. And it's not how we normally think of the evolution of work. So if, if we think of what have been the big changes in working practices in the last 500 years with the Industrial Revolution and factory production and so on, you think, okay, Henry Ford has this idea of the production line, and that revolutionises the manufacture of cars and everything else, and now you can afford a car on four months' wages, right? Well, there's one Henry Ford who everyone knows about. How many workers were there in his factories? Thousands of workers in his factories. And history is written about the very, very rare non-incremental changes, the dramatic changes. And it's part of a problem, actually, that's broader than this. We all tend to model ourselves on the extraordinary because it's the extraordinary that hits the headlines. Ever since mass media, you've got a distortion in our perception of the world. And it happened, actually, this happens in my um, I guess vocational field of expertise where trainee pastors model themselves on Tim Keller and John Piper because like, they're the pastors they've heard of. Well... Uh, there are far more churches of 73 people in the rural Midwest than there are Bethlehem Baptist Church and Redeemer Manhattan. Right? So you'd be far better off modelling yourself on somebody who's ordinary. So ditto. Who should you model yourself on? Henry Ford, who has this revolutionary idea to change the world, or the guy who just manages to machine down the ends of the axles half a second quicker every time and just incrementally improve the productivity of the whole factory? It just strikes me that we've got to avoid that trap of modeling ourselves on the dramatic exception in that sort of way. Um, Let me talk about uh, a a different um, uh, issue. Um, Difficult people in the workplace. Um, We've all met them. Uh, Some of us might have had difficult bosses in the past. I never actually really have except one short period of time. But difficult colleagues, difficult people, there'll be folks here who are hearing everything you guys have said and they're gnawing away at the back of their mind is this kind of massive, yeah, but... Yeah, but Justin, like, (laughs) if you had to work for my boss, it's all right for people working for you, but if you had to work with my colleagues, if you had to work with my boss, if you had to work with the staff that have been foisted on me, then you'd realise it's different. So dealing with difficult people in the workplace... Give us some advice about that. Who wants to kick off? Tony, Justin? Tony, go ahead. So, you know, keep in mind, there's a difference
2: between uncomfortable, unpleasant, and illegal. Okay? So, you know, I, I would not accept illegal treatment in the workplace. Okay? So I'm not advocating that. But, you know, just because a coworker is is different than you are or um, they're not your kind of person, you know, is, is no reason not to fully extend yourself in doing all you can do to be collaborative and, and successful in what you've been called to do. Um, you know, I, and I, I'm looking at Sean back in, in that back corner, and I know at a company like American Airlines. And I won't get into any specific kinds of lifestyles, but I know you work with everything. And um, Sean's been successful at American Airlines in management and has to have had um, a godly tolerance for that. And I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a, a story. Um, you know, I had, when I started with the company almost uh, 20 years ago, had an individual with a lifestyle that they knew was not going to be consistent with my lifestyle and my beliefs. And so they came to me and they were concerned. They said, uh, you know, here's what I hear about you. I hear you're a Christian guy and all these other things. What about me? And what I said to them was, you can come to work and talk about your uh, Bedroom life, as much as you see me do it, and no more. (laughs) And he's still with us, and he's invaluable. He does a great job. And I wouldn't want to have walked through the last almost 20 years without him. Now, I do get the point that I had the right to say that because, you know, I could decide whether he would stay or go. But the point is, there's application in that as a co-worker for, for all of us, right? We're here to do a job. And we're not here to like each other. We're not here to necessarily respect each other, though, though there's a respect that's deserving of everyone that's made in the image of God. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying there. But, um, you know, we have to put those things aside. We have to be... The better man we have to be the bigger man we have to be the godly man in those circumstances mm, so thank
0: you justin you had some things to say about this yeah uh, <laughs> no, I mean,
3: it's just, it, it. um yeah where do i start uh, okay so got 20 minutes okay yeah let me run this real quick i went from playing soccer to working and playing soccer to working is a huge change everything in playing soccer is really fast all the guys are guys it's pretty much a hangout anyway. There's very few bad attitudes that you have to put up with because you can separate yourself by a couple yards or just leave when you're done with practice. When you're stuck in an office with people for eight hours a day, it's totally different. And let me just say, when I needed a job, I took a job. I had a very weird boss, I had a very bad boss. But when you know that you have a job, your mouth amazingly doesn't move. You, you just do what you're told and you get it done. And then from there, I moved to a different company. And I had a different kind of a bad boss, okay? Um, Some of the stuff, like we're talking about, this was years ago, different place, some stuff that probably should have been taken to HR that didn't. I'm not going to go any further than that, Uh, just to say that um, it's on that edge of rough treatment versus, you know, raising voices versus something that needs to be talked about, that kind of thing, not anything beyond that. Don't, Don't worry about that. But the point is when you, what I'm getting at is, um, I think this is particularly one area where a Christian can really show they're a Christian in a workplace, is having thick skin, endurance, forgiveness, self control. All these areas, the fruit of the spirit, can be shown in dealing with difficult people. And the thing, the one thing that I've, I've looked well, one place in the Bible I've looked over and over again, over again is Psalm 37. And basically, what I'm, what I'm telling to all of y'all is. I'm standing here in the position I, I am because I've outlasted people. And, I mean, at my workplace. Uh, really, I'm the, there's one other person that there that, that is there, actually two, that have been there longer than me and it's only by a matter of months. And I'm now over them. I mean, there's, there's all this, but it's not because it was an easy road, it's because of the difficult people that you come across. You don't need to put them in their place. You don't need to do anything like that. You do need to take care of things that are illegal, obviously, but you can, you're can. You're given the Spirit of God innocent as doves, cunning as serpents. That doesn't mean you're trying to get people. That just means you're wiser than they are in these kind of situations. And, la- well, lastly, just to say that um, when you're dealing with those uh, difficult people, whatever it may be. Um, again, the the being able to just uh, understand that this is kind of what you're called to. Um, it is a, it, you'd be surprised, mixed with the mastery part of things. Uh, what I always, I've had to have this conversation with other employees at different times dealing with difficult people as I tell them, make sure your work is airtight. Make sure your work is perfect and excellent. If you do that, don't get involved. Don't ask too many questions about other people's conversations. Don't, i.e., don't grab a dog passing dog by the ears. Let other people's quarrels be their quarrels. You focus on your thing and they'll take care of themselves if they keep doing that. And sure enough, give it time and that's exactly what has happened.
0: Thank you. Um, Tony, any final comments on this?
2: No, I think, um, you know, and I wish I had thought to say this, so good job. I think the fruits of the spirit in the workplace are what you should be what you should be aiming for, um, You know, especially things like not that you shouldn't aim for love, but peace and patience and kindness. It's always in season. Um, and you know whether you want to call it pouring pouring hot coals on the head of someone that's next to you that you're having a hard time with with your kindness, that's biblical.
0: so and, and you don't need to make that judgment. you just do your job. And if that person has reached the point where it's time for them to pass away like a wildflower, then they will. And the Lord may use you as an instrument in that. But, yeah, it's just really intriguing to me. And um, the comment that you made, Christians ought to be easily the best people at handling ungodliness in the workplace. Because we know what it's come from. We're prepared for it. We know we should expect it. Um, uh, we ought to be able to manifest the graces of the Spirit so that we can handle it appropriately. Guys, I'm very grateful to you for what you've said already, and we have a few minutes left. We've got 10 minutes before we're due to finish at 10 o'clock, and so that was intentional. Um, and I want to turn over to you guys if you've got any questions. Just so you know, the recording from these three microphones will be going out on the podcast, but um, nobody will be able to hear your particular questions I'll repeat them for the microphone so that the podcast listeners can hear them so you don't need to worry about things uh, you're asking uh, finding their way out there and your voice being available uh, uh, identifiable so uh, anybody got any questions they'd like to pose to Justin or Tony let me just repeat the question so you've all heard it so um, uh, Tony you talked about your job as CEO is to maximize shareholder value Um, certainly some modern business theorists have expanded the uh, shareholders to shareholders and other stakeholders, which if I'm understanding that lingo correctly is, uh, for example, if you're a local business, it will be other local businesses and the local community, whether or not they're your customers and so on. Um, And some of this may be connected to some of the um, environmental, social governance uh, practices which have started to enter the corporate work uh, workplace. Um, so Tony is it just about shareholder value or does that connect somehow to other priorities like that?
2: Yeah in the end it's just about shareholder value however um, certainly there are stakeholders that have to be considered in the equation um, and it depends you know, a lot on what kind of business you're in as to whether or not they are ESG or environmental and social and and other other things that that you have to give a different level of attention to but i think the role of the ceo or the role of a business manager today is to understand how you you take all those disparate groups and manage the company's interactions with them The shareholders can be customers right so the on the right hand One way to ensure that um, I'm not managing for shareholder value is to get a Fortune 500 company that spends a million dollars a year with us upset with me, right? So um, the truth is you have to manage all relationships well. The context of that comment was if you ask the shareholders and they're the ones who decide whether I stay or go, the board of directors lets me stay or asks me to leave. And they're focused on shareholder value. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't get so much into the weeds of, of how I do that. I know to do that, I have to treat everybody um, in such a way that, that, that those relationships are strong and we're meeting the needs of stakeholders, employees, and in the end,
0: that leads to shareholder value. Mm. I've been intrigued. You've probably seen the news on this recently that um, the ESG movement has been initially bolstered by some major investors insisting on those kinds of priorities in big S&P 500 companies, at which point other investors start saying, whoa, hold on a second. Um, I think we'll have our votes back um, and we will start going to these board meetings ourselves, rather than just dumping money in with BlackRock and letting them vote on our behalf, we'll have the votes that come with our shares as well, because we're actually not altogether persuaded that ESG is good for the bottom line. So, properly articulated, those social concerns will, in the end, improve the bottom line for shareholders. Um, And what that means is, we're then back to Justin's point, like, you are actually selling your labour for money. That's what, that's what we're doing. And if your labor is your physical labor or if it's your intellectual work, yeah, whatever it is, but you're selling, uh, if you're working for a business, you're selling your time and your expertise and your labor for money. And so you'll do well to the extent that you're selling something valuable. That's good. That's helpful. So we've got a bunch more questions. Um, yeah, go ahead. So ad- advice for people in a mentoring or leadership position in the workplace for encouraging highly... Discouraged coworkers.
3: The I've never worked in a nursing situation, and I understand just by reading some of what's gone on. The, the only thing I can relate it to is being uh, in an office, shoulder to shoulder with other people who were dealing with um, the same issues I was. The only, I remember getting an email from a, an employee in a different department saying, "I don't know how you do all this. Um, you do this, 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 and this, and you're still smiling." I don't know what, you know the people, I don't know all the people, I don't know how you speak to them, I don't know what you say, but I can tell you one thing, that if you can do it yourself, sometimes that's the only thing you can do to give people some hope in a situation, like, I can go a step further because he's doing it, and when he does it, I know he at least sees that I'm going through this too, you know, I, I, I don't have any, I, I don't, like, nothing else right now. Hmm.
0: Thank you, Tony.
2: Yeah, so because of health issues within our family, I spend a full day, one day a month, in the hospital all, all day long with, and have essentially been with the same staff for the last five years. There's one individual in that staff that, when she's not there, it's a whole different experience. One individual out of you know twelve, thirteen on the floor, and it's because of the level of um you know I, I hate to use this overly used phrase of positive energy but it but it is a it's an attitude of acceptance but it's also uh, an attitude of of graciousness and helpfulness and and just um you know you get you get the sense that anything's possible when she's at work and anything could go wrong when she's not there hmm. and so i uh, Back to Justin's point, I, I think you know that's that's all of our calls in the workplace. It's my calling in the workplace, is is to be um, someone who lifts uh, the environment, the spirit, uh, how things are going. So, but it's tough. You know, thanks for your service. I mean, I, I uh, you know, I don't know what else to say other than you know I'm I'm sorry. It's that way. I wish things were different. In, in our country, in, in the way that healthcare is managed from the top all the way through. Mm. Um, it's tough.
0: How, how do you disciple somebody who is not a Christian and is working badly? How, or how do you make them work better? Can you do that? Tony? You know,
2: this is going to be uh, somewhat repetitive, but I, I think um, doing your best in the way that, that you work in the way that you interact, in in all that you do, that your employees see, where where that aroma is so compelling, they either want some part of that, or they want to know, uh, as as Justin said earlier, what, what's different. Um, you know, it, it's um, it's important that that those non-Christian employees can can. That the hope that's within you is palpable um, and you know there um, there are some cases you know that that are that' are not that you're not going to see one over, but the seed that you plant or the seeds that you plant may be the very ones after you've left that workplace or twenty years down the road you know that were seeds that that ultimately sprouted you just can't look for the gratification of of working that way in in doing that um, you've got to be content to know that God's gonna take your efforts and and do what He will with them. There's no easy answer to that. And it all goes back to the example you set um in the end Thank you right
0: um. Okay, I I will address this because it's a Bible theology question. You guys chip in if you'd like to. Um, What does retirement, quote-unquote, look like if we want to push back against the secular vision of margaritas in the country club? Um, The the good reason to think about retirement from work is because of diminished physical or cognitive capacity. And therefore, the good reason to think about... um, Saving for retirement is to make sure you're providing for yourself in that eventuality. Now, if you have enough to live on that you don't need to work for money, then that doesn't mean you don't need to work. It just means that you can do other things which are good for other reasons. So a man who's retired as a CEO, let's say, who's made a fortune and doesn't need to carry on working could then go and mentor other young men or do other charitable work or all kinds of other good things. But, I think you're you're right, what we should be resisting is the idea that the goal of life is the stopping of work. That's not correct. The goal of life is not to stop work. The goal of life is to, to give ourselves to image bearing, which is gonna include productive work that we're capable of. Now, that will then mean keeping yourself healthy and attempting to provide for yourself and your family in the event that you can't work remuneratively. But that's the picture I'd wanna have. So, Depends, depends on the different circumstances. From that point on, physical, cognitive, etc. Thank you, guys. You want to chip in there, or should we go to Nate?
2: You know, just going back to um, that statement in Genesis three: um, our work ends when we return to the ground. Yeah. The work may change, right. as Pastor Jeffrey said, hmm. um, but but the being productive, the working, shouldn't change. Hmm. And you know that. That plays itself out differently for for different people. Yeah.
0: Um, Let me just paraphrase that. So, you've got situations where you're being, in some companies, you're being required to do things which are either immoral, or which uh, are repulsive to you. Um, how would you handle that, Tony? And then Justin. Could you give me an example? So yeah, the kind of uh, diversity, equity, equity inclusion. Like the
3: doulas, doulas <laughs> and midwives. I think you have to call them birthing persons rather than.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. So, so we've got, I, I can give a couple of examples. So you've got diversity, equity, inclusion training. You've also got uh, situations. We had some of this during COVID where people um, were being asked by employers to undertake precautions which they found uh, overbearing or uh, they thought unreasonable. Um, do you want to speak to those?
2: Yeah, I'll speak to the last one first. Um, and uh, we talk about things like vaccines and masks. Are those some of the things that... that that you're thinking about, or not possibly. so much, possibly. Yeah. So, you know, let's use the example of our company that you're familiar with, right? Um, and you're, you're covering a territory these last couple of weeks that has a major utility company in it up in the Northeast that is in our top five. And if that customer comes to us and says, you know, your consultants, your instructors can't come on site unless they've got proof of vaccine and they wear a mask. Um, Then as an employer, I, I, I can do one of two things. I can void my responsibility to the shareholders, not take care of the customer, lose the business, then the employee loses their job, the company loses the customer relationship, and I lose my job. So what we've done in response to that is we've made it optional. You'll get to work for this customer, this customer, and this customer if you meet their requirements. And if you don't meet their requirements, you're not going to get as much work as you would get otherwise. But we haven't terminated anyone over refusing vaccines, for example. We did not make vaccines mandatory, but it had a negative impact on many of our instructors that chose not to be vaccinated because they couldn't do the work. And that's out of my control in that case. I can't can't control what a Fortune 500 company's policies and procedures are. And if we're serving them and they require those things of us to provide the service, what I've tried to do and I've been able to, I can envision circumstances where I wouldn't be able to do that, I was able to get around having to require vaccines because we had enough staff to meet the need without everyone having to be vaccinated. You know, as it it comes to the training that you're talking about, um, you know, we have rights as Christians, um, and companies have rights too. And it is a company's right to decide what their work rules are. And so if, if, if you have a, a, um, an exception or a concern or an issue that, that brings you to a place of refusal to follow company practices, policies, procedures, it's probably time to find another place to work. Because their rights are just as valid as our rights are. Uh, the hospital, you know, it, it's a hospital's right to decide to put all their nursing staff through diversity and inclusion training that may teach countless things that are completely contrary not only to what you believe but to what the Bible says but that they still have the right to require the training
3: Justin, I, I want to speak specifically to the, the COVID related issue um, and some because the rules were changing so often uh, during that time about what everybody needed to do, and specifically uh, for a Christian, though, I, I, want, I want everybody to remember that you we're all responsible to keep our word. We, we want our word to be valuable. I, I know every man wants their word to count for something, and when you say something for people to believe you, that you mean it, that you're telling the truth, that you're going to follow through with it, um, the reason I bring this up is uh, we, during COVID, we had masking requirements for those who were not vaccinated. We had all different types of things. And I it, I had a group of people at, at my branch, and I know it was company-wide, that were saying, it's just the government's pushing, so we're going to push back and we're not going to do this. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing a lot of stuff, okay? But we're a privately held company. We're family-owned. And I can tell you that the owners... It, they're not doing this because of the government says. They They genuinely think it's the best thing. Okay, so one, separate that out of your mind. The government is real. The government says things. But if you work for somebody, you're talking to the local person. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, if you're an employee somewhere, you signed on to, like, a code of conduct or whatever it may be, whatever they call it. And I have the... It's page eight in the employee handbook I have in my drawer all the time because most of the problems I have, I have to reference that, you know, wherever it is. We have a a monthly meeting at our branch. And when this was happening, I got everybody, everybody in the whole facility was there. And I read to them what it said in the company handbook about obeying policies contained here or in the future, you know, whatever it may be. And I told them everybody here, and this kind of goes to your question, Dawson, everybody wants their word to be counted for something. And I said this to the group. Nobody wants to be thought that they're a liar. I said, when all of you became employees here, you signed this. You signed that you said that you would obey this. Now, I don't want it to come to this, but if you don't obey this, I'm going to have to start writing people up, and write-ups lead to eventual termination if things don't get corrected. Mm. I watched people in the room who were standing there sliding masks over their face. Not when I threatened the write-ups, when I told them about keeping their word because they had right. signed on to that. Hmm. So that's all I'm saying. I agree with him. There's a, there becomes a point where we all have to understand there's things, let's face it, how many of you want to be at work at whatever time you get up in the morning to get there? <laughs> you, if, if we start to. This is where it becomes that contract thing again. Yeah. You signed yeah. on to make money this way by their definition, by you fulfilling this role, this job, means the, this time these responsibilities, if you start making demands of the employer for self-actualization or to not obey the rules or anything else, it
0: better be absolutely airtight or just find some place else to work. Yeah. We have all had a lesson in First Amendment jurisprudence in the last decade, haven't we? So, like, the First Amendment restricts Congress from making laws preventing the free exercise of religion. It doesn't prevent your employer from making regulations preventing your free exercise. So, if you work for the NFL, you may not kneel during the national anthem, not because of the First Amendment, but because of your contract, and so you should be you should be fired. If you work for an employer that says, "Please wear a red hat on a Tuesday," well, you could go work somewhere else, or you could wear a wet red hat on a Tuesday. You know, but Congress isn't allowed to make those laws, but your employer is allowed to make those regulations, and it goes back. In one sense, it all stems out of the the overarching point that Pastor Neil made. We're made in the image of God, so we get to work, which means that you get to go to a place where they say, if you do this, we'll give you that money, and you'll be able to provide for your family, and that's a fantastic privilege. Now, if you don't like it, fantastic, great, go find somewhere else. And maybe we're getting to the point in our history where increasing numbers of Christians will do that, and maybe that's where we're going. Right now... Uh, you may be in a place where um, there's a mixture of positive lessons that you've learned uh, and also a couple of shots across the bows from these guys, just encouragements to watch out for things that could trip you up, I hope it's been helpful I I know that they'll be around tomorrow uh, to talk, I suspect that we all need to make a move now to get back on with our other responsibilities for the day Um, but Justin and Tony, thank you very very much indeed for this conversation Guys, I'm going to lead us in prayer briefly as we finish and then um, I'll hand the mic to Tony just to tell us a few things about Clear Up and then we can go. Merciful Father, we're grateful to you for this time. Thank you to these men, uh, all of these men here present and for the callings that you've given us. Please help us to fulfill them excellently and so to manifest the image that you've placed in us and to provide for our families and to care for those uh, for whom we have responsibility. We pray that you'd bless us as we go today, to fulfill we'll what other other responsibilities you've given us to do, and bring us joyfully and ready to worship you tomorrow on your day. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.